Hi, and welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're Ember Weekend, like I think I already said once. You did already say it. You okay. did. It's cool, though. Right, it's good, cool. You just, just reiterate. Just it's br- always good to branding, say our name multiple branding, times. Branding. Um, yeah, so uh, this is episode 78. 78? Yeah. I didn't think we'd get this far. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, so, okay, <laughs> we're uh, in the Hash Rocket uh, Jacksonville office. Uh, here on Jacksonville Beach, which is which is my office, right? It's actually yeah, it's actually only John's office now. Uh, we didn't mention last week, but uh, recently I left Hash Rocket, uh, you know, on good terms, and uh, I am now working for Q2, uh, based out of Austin, uh, working remotely for now. But luckily, I'm uh, moving to Austin soon. Looking forward. Yeah, to going it. from one hot climate to another hot climate. Yeah, but it's uh, it's an amazing place. I uh, really dig it. Been out there like three times in the last couple months and uh it's always great yeah super cool man i'm super excited for you uh that's pretty great and we got a great show for you today uh we got a lot of really cool information and uh, some stuff that we're excited to talk about um so uh, i guess we get kicked off yeah yeah let's do it so this past friday lisa huang brought up a really good issue on the ember.js guides and it was basically about the guides seem to require a certain level of knowledge about SPAs and JavaScript and ES6 and a, and a bunch of other things that we kind of take for granted being experienced JavaScript programmers or being people that have been in Ember for a long time. And she did something that is actually not very common, and that is you know keeping track of the problems that you have and then giving that, feed, that, that really valuable feedback to the people who are trying to maintain guides. Uh, so definitely check it out. I'm sure most of us have experienced this kind of uh, same level of confusion some, at some point, like up until very recently, I shouldn't say very recently, maybe like uh, last year, I, I still in my head transposed the, t- the term router and routes. Um, so it's definitely confusing uh, some of these little, you know, little things that she brought up. Um, so it, it's, it's actually, even if you're experienced, you know, definitely check this out. You probably have some of the same problems. Yeah, I, I think that the, the so a couple of things. One, uh, you know, as as you as you work in any ecosystem for long enough, you stop seeing the things that initially tripped you up. Uh, it's just the the way things work. If you you know write Postgres your entire career, you're not going to see the stuff that stumbles. You know that that causes uh, new Postgres developers to stumble and so on. This is definitely true here in Ember. Uh, and one of the things that um, I remember uh, kind of vaguely, this is quite a while ago when I was going through the guides originally. I would ha- I actually had to read them like two or three times because, uh, you know, certain parts just didn't click or didn't gel, or I would learn something here and then it, I wouldn't be able to correlate it to the things that I need to correlate it to, uh, and that's that's part of learning. It's a struggle. Uh, that's you know I think everyone experiences that who programs for any length of time, but uh, you know usually uh, at least in my case uh, usually when I find those uh, stumbling blocks or whatever. Uh, I just kind of like plow through them and I don't like write them down or like I don't think about them once I figure it out. Once I figure it out, they just kind of like evaporate from my mind. And uh, and that's fine. Like it's really just because you're like, oh, well, I was frustrated and now I'm not frustrated anymore. So let's not think about the times when I was frustrated. Um, but, you know, like especially for people maintaining guides, it's really, really important to trap that feedback and like write it down and try to do something constructive with it. And Lisa Huang did an amazing job of going through and being very, very detailed. And I think that's the that's the really cool thing here is that it's very detailed in the things that she had difficulties with. Uh, so some of it uh, in, in, in the, the comments uh, underneath it in response to this issue were uh, pretty great. Um, there, I think Mike North, Trek, uh, Todd, uh, the, I mean, the list is like basically everyone on the learning team and, and then some. 
they're they're all going back and forth about like, hey, well, like this is really great feedback. How do we how do we address uh, how do we address this uh, in a meaningful way? Uh, and some of it is, you know, some of it's obviously talking about, well, you know, some small portion of this is, you know, the jump between knowing things like jQuery to knowing things like uh, ES6 uh, and, you know, so on and so on. And, and like really dissecting that in the comments to try to figure out how we can address some of these things. And a lot of these things can be addressed um, by just, you know, like a couple links to places and uh, to, to other resources uh, where you can kind of brush up on uh, basic concepts or primitive concepts. Uh, that are utilized in the guides and some of it's just you know reorganizing how things uh, get ordered so that you're not introduced to a concept before you're ready uh, and so on and uh, and I got to tell you this is such an amazing issue because of how detailed it was uh, that I think a lot of really good stuff's going to come from this uh, and I really hope that uh, what this does is it encourages um, other people to when they experience that frustration rather than just experience it plow through it and then forget about it uh, kind of you know think maybe hey how how can I contribute how can I help guide things towards a better a better future a better path by leveraging my frustration yeah and more than just uh you know plowing through and forgetting it you know there's a whole um you know slew of people that are you know hitting these same problems and then just giving up and then later on you you hear somebody make make a comment about how hard it is to learn ember um and they tried it for a little bit kind of gave up um you know make sure that you keep uh you know, this kind of record of like what you're learning. It's always good to take notes um, for yourself and then you can later turn around and, and hand these off to somebody. I've started doing this recently uh, for basically everything and it's super useful. And many times I've been able to just hand over like my notes on something to somebody. It's very helpful. Yeah, totally. And and as a, as the as the learner, uh, that's really valuable. As the as the person who's trying to teach the, the, the people who are architecting these documents, I think uh, having this, it's, I'm, I'm really stoked to see the response because I think right now they're thinking, you know, how can we implement some fixes to kind of alleviate some of these concerns and uh, you know, open, it opens up discussion. So um, it's kind of like a give and take, like if you write some of these things down and you post them, you know, in a nice way like this, I think that they, they, there can be a back and forth that really helps guide uh, the framework to be more friendly to beginners. And that's always been a criticism that's been leveled against Ember. So uh I don't know. I mean, this this is kind of great. I just I just like seeing this interaction. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I was hoping to kind of get this on the show so that we can get more eyes on it uh, and see if uh, if maybe this is. Oh yeah, like I remember that that did trip me up too. And maybe we can get some more comments on there to kind of like reiterate and like get maybe a, a broader uh, perspective as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I imagine these will um, because they are. Uh, very individual items like um, uh, separate from each other. Um, they'll probably just turn get turned into action items for people to go in and just fix them because um, some of them are very specific things about, you know, you never mentioned um, this key subject before mentioning this other thing. Or uh, one of them was like, I'm writing a test for a route, but I don't even know what a route is. Um, you know, there's there's some easy wins for, for just fixing the guides, which hopefully this will, you know, uh, get a whole new group of people to come in and, and realize that these guides are open source and they can contribute to this. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that also opens up some some larger uh, questions out there for open like opens up a dialogue around them, uh, specifically around uh, test driven development. Um, and I think I'm really hoping that this doesn't end up turning into a bike shed. I suspect it won't because um, the people who are on the learning team are really good at trying to help. Um, help come to cohesive solutions. Um, but as far as the TDD is concerned, like personally, like I think teaching with TDD is great, but I have a background in TDD. So that definitely, I mean, you have to figure out, you know, who the target audience is and who, what, what are the prerequisites that, that are necessary before you can start jumping into Ember? I mean, where, where is the, where is the starting point that, that uh, the guides want to focus on? 
Um, and there's a lot of like uh, questions there. I think this is going to open up a lot of really good conversation. Yeah, definitely. So um, so check it out. Uh, it's on GitHub. We're going to post it. It's issue uh, 1708 on the Ember Guides. Uh, and uh, yeah, make sure to comment if you if you see something in there uh, and get uh, participating in the uh, conversation. So the next thing we want to talk about is uh, a library by Chris Freeman. Uh, I think he works at the front side. Um, and it's called uh, Ember Object Update. And uh, basically, it gives you a utility function called update that, uh, and this is something I find myself doing a lot. And it, it's, it looks nicer when you do it with a destructured get and set. But you'll say like set object key to um, get object key. Uh, and you, you find yourself doing that a lot when you want to like just set something, but you want to tweak it some small way um, or incrementing uh, numbers is a good example. Um, and what this does is it basically allows you to not have to call get on the second uh, argument. So you can pass it a, an object, a path, and then uh, a, an, an update function. And the update function as its argument receives uh, the, res the, the value uh, that's retrieved from the object at at path name, um, so uh, it's kind of nice. It's just nice shorthand. Um, I find myself doing this a lot, so it could be really neat. Yeah, I I do find myself doing this all the time, um, and I definitely think I would use something like this. Um, I actually wanted the same kind of uh, behavior to work in a computed property. Um, the one thing I was actually I really want to go through here and like like bike shed this or something, but um, I really want the ability to access multiple keys. Um, because most of the time, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not just going to square something or increment something. I want to say like, you know, add the first name to last name or something, you know, like I'm going to compose things together and then have something that comes out or something that's set into something else. It's a combination of other things. Um, so being able to say like, oh, give me a comma B comma C and then a function. And then I get a, B and C as the parameters of that. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, so. that'd be cool. And I think, I, th I don't think that would be that, uh, that far, far fetched. No, um, yeah, it seems like it's edition. still in the scope of this kind of thing, but luckily this thing is actually small enough that you could, you could totally, if you wanted that kind of behavior, um, this is the kind of thing you can, you can put in some function somewhere, just some util function and, and use it. It's not hard to test that it works. Uh, there are some edge cases that it, um, like using certain selectors that would be fine at selecting, uh, something out, but may not work putting the thing back in. Um, I can, I can imagine like, because can't you use like first, dot first object inside of that selector? Well, it's a path, so I would imagine so. Yeah, so there's got, and, and so like, how would you set that? Like, would that actually work? Like, I, I don't know, I could just imagine because Ember's um, selectors can get pretty complicated. Yeah, I suspect underneath the hood it uses get, so um, I imagine it would have the same uh, signature as get. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's a, that's an open question. I don't actually know, um, but it seems nice. It's, ni it's a nice little utility function that you can easily drop in and start using. Yeah, definitely. So uh, so check it out. Uh, we'll post a, we'll post a link to that uh, repo uh, and uh, let us know what you think. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is that progressive enhancement isn't dead, but it smells funny. But it but it smells funny. This actually is an article uh, from uh, the 13th, so uh, we're we're a, we're a little stale. Not not too stale. We're like nine days, ten days old at the time of recording. Um, but it's a it's an article um, from Nolan Lawson. Nolan Lawson is a really great programmer. Uh, he wrote a Pokédex article recently, uh, maybe three or four months ago that we covered, uh, and he does a whole bunch of other cool stuff, uh, very engaged in the community, and, uh, and has a lot of really cool things to say in this article um, talking about uh, progressive enhancement and uh, like basically trying to open up discussions about who your, who your target audience is when you think of progressive enhancement. And he goes on to talk about like 
if you ask 10 developers what progressive enhancement is, you'll get 10 different responses. Um, but usually, I want to say he says like 20, 25% of the time, they'll say some variant of uh, making a website work without JavaScript. Uh, and basically, this, this whole article is uh, in defense of a position uh, where you say it is okay to, um, to write uh, JavaScript-heavy app applications or applications that, whose core functionality requires JavaScript. Um, because um, some of the assumptions of the original round of progressive enhancement uh, were kind of in, uh, in, in a different era where you were guaranteed a reliable network connection and the bottleneck, the problem, was the fact that the browser itself was limited in its power. Uh, JavaScript was also uh, similarly uh, limited. Uh, the APIs for the browsers were, were smaller and, and less robust. And now in... in in 2016, uh, the problem is kind of inverted a little bit, where especially in developing countries, uh, you see people having uh, access to smartphones, which would be considered desktop class computers um, in the area of the, the first kind of progressive enhancement movement. And uh, the, the limiting factor is actually the network connection. Uh, so it's kind of flipped around. And now basically the new progressive enhancement that he argues for and he says that there's room for both. Uh, some some applications would require you to do it in a different way, but there is room for this where uh, you want to use view progressive enhancement as offline first enhancement. So the idea would be that your website should function where the progressive enhancement is the network itself. Uh, the thing that I like most about this blog post was that it's not particularly arguing saying this is progressive enhancement. He's saying that there's different there's room, and he's saying that uh, really when we talk about these things. Uh, we should really be considering, uh, you know, like how big a tent JavaScript is. He actually uses that at the, at the, towards the end, that, that expression where, you know, JavaScript is a big tent or, or the web development really is, is a big tent and, you know, it gets bigger uh, and there's room for everybody. Uh, so I think that, uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, my, my, my big thing here is that the accessibility argument is often leveraged against JavaScript heavy applications. Um, but I think that screen readers can process JavaScript, or at least some of them can. So I think you can you can probably mix and match a little bit of the accessibility aspect um, with you know uh, just being aware uh, and you know and trying to be aware of the accessibility options and still leverage JavaScript. So um, I don't know. It, it was an interesting thing. I think it's really the the, the final kind of arguments here are basically saying uh, you know keep an open mind and understand that uh, at, at a certain point in time you know. There are, there are going to be fundamental shifts to the way we think about how applications get developed. So, you know, bear that in mind as you leverage criticism, um, try to do so in a way that, you know, can help uh, sort out good ideas from bad ideas. So, yeah, uh, it's a really engaging uh, blog post. Definitely check it out. Um, I really appreciate uh, the thoughtfulness of this blog post. Uh, and I think the case is pretty strong. So check it out. Uh, let us know what you think. All right, and that's all for this Ember weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, uh, you can uh, do so on Twitter at uh, Ember Weekend. Uh, if you would prefer to use an RSS reader, you can follow us at emberweekend.com slash feed XML. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we will see you next weekend. From Austin, maybe. Probably. Probably. I'll definitely be in Austin. Actually, we'll, we'll both be in Austin. Yeah. Oh, wow. We're going to have to record on the road. It's true. Nice. All right. We'll see you from Austin. 